1: Hello, and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. As December closes in, and the streets outside my home become increasingly icy, I'm being harshly reminded of how poorly adapted I am to the cold. However, the cold is where some species thrive, and few embrace it quite as much as the Emperor Penguin. And in today's episode, we're going to explore how they manage to live in one of the world's most inhospitable environments, as we hear from two of the authors behind the recent Heredity paper, Selection-Driven Adaptation to the Extreme Antarctic Environment in the Emperor Penguin. This is the last episode of the year, so I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you again in 2023. Can you both please introduce
0: yourselves? So my name is Emiliano Trucchi, and um, I define myself as a population geneticist, so I study population genetics. I'm currently based in Italy, Marke Polytechnic University. Yeah, I'm an associate professor at the moment. And I have a small group of researchers. And one of my biggest projects, my most important project, is on penguins. With a, collaborating with Céline Leboeck.
2: So yeah, I'm Céline Leboeck. So I'm a researcher in ecology of seabirds at the National Scientific Center of France and Monaco. So I'm based in France, Strasbourg, and in Monaco. Uh, I'm interested in, um, I would say understanding polar ecosystems in general and their evolution. So that's why I'm working with Emiliano Trutti, Uh and especially, particularly uh, in face of uh, global changes. And I would say that another objective of my research is actually to provide uh, results and uh, tools uh, essential to the implementation of a strategy of preservation of uh, uh, the sensitive ecosystem, fragile e- ecosystem and biodiversity of polar regions. And so to do so, actually, we are using uh, seabirds uh, from polar regions, so subantarctic and Antarctic ecosystems, and especially uh, penguins, uh, as they are very good bioindicators, uh, sentinels of their um, ecosystem of what is happening in their ecosystem that if you long-term monitor them uh, you will know more or less what is happening in your ecosystem and if your ecosystem is in good health or not
1: well thank you both very much for joining me in the podcast and as you both kind of mentioned there this paper is on penguins and just to start off i wonder why emperor penguins are so interesting i have a bit different perspective than Selene. So
0: I'm also interested in conservation of species, biodiversity, and penguins too. The only difference is that I'm more focused on fundamental questions in evolution. So I'm also interested in understanding how evolution happened, actually. And this is what this paper is about. Emperor penguins are peculiar. They're, they are unique, I would say, because they are the most cold-adapted, yeah, warm-blooded vertebrate on Earth. So they can live in a very crazy place with crazy cold temperatures, crazy winds, and so on. But they can thrive there. They can breed in the winter, in the Antarctic winter. We all know that from the movies and the documentaries that we have seen. And they are special for this adaptation. These are special adaptation to cold temperatures, to thriving in a very unique condition. So you need to keep your core temperature stable across the whole winter, just incubating the egg and rearing the chick for four or five months. The, the males actually can stand the winter and do this egg incubation and chick rearing without eating. So fasting for up to four months, actually. This implies reshuffling and remodulating the metabolism to such a level that is really, really different from any other animals that we know.
2: Uh, just to complete with uh, what Emiliano was saying, so empower penguins are... Clearly amazing uh, animals uh, in terms of adaptation. As you said, actually, uh, they are one of the most uh, cold adapted uh, animals on Earth facing temperature lower than minus 40 degrees Celsius uh, and very strong winds uh, reaching 300 kilometers per hour while breeding uh, during the dark uh, Antarctic uh, winter around the Antarctic continent. And so actually to do so, they were able to develop amazing features to be ultra-efficient in terms of uh, insulation, heat production, and uh, energy management, as uh, Emiliano was saying. So in terms of adaptation, for instance, you have a compact body. So in terms of uh, surface and volume, for instance, they have very uh, specialized uh, feathers and uh, down to keep uh, warm. They have a seat to gather Enough food to have a thick layer of fat while uh, starting to breed with a, a very efficient process, I will say, of fasting also. So they are really uh, powerful uh, fasters. And also in terms of behaviors, they have a very special behavior. Uh, everybody knows uh, their famous adult adults, uh, this social thermoregulatory collective group behavior that generates temperature up to thirty. degrees inside the adult while outside you are at um, minus 40 50 degrees sometimes so it's just amazing adaptation in terms of behavior too and uh, as Emiliano was saying actually thanks to this adaptation males are able to fast for more than four months and uh, they will lose something like 20-25 20-25 kilograms during this uh, long fasting and incubating period. And in addition, they will be able to, after four months, feed their newly born chicks with what we call crop milk. So it's a very rich uh, protein and lipid uh, content, liquid, and waiting for their uh, their female to return from the sea. So actually, it, it's just Yeah, completely amazing. So this is an adaptation, you know, against the cold. But they have also amazing adaptation in terms of, uh, for instance, foraging. So as you know, probably uh, the emperor penguins are able to dive deeper than 500 meters depth. And they are doing apnea of uh, almost 20 minutes. And they are traveling 1,000 kilometers per year. Also, in terms of just diving, they are ultra efficient. So, yeah.
1: Amazing. I mean, I was going to ask why this area of research fascinates you, but I guess it's pretty obvious after (laughs) that series of uh, incredible facts about their adaptation. So, I mean, they sound like incredible animals. Um, So what was it in the study in particular that you set out to do? Like, what were your aims?
0: So we we were actually interested in understanding the underlying genetics of all of these adaptations. Yeah, this is the main question, the main scope. When you study evolutionary biology, actually identifying yeah the signature of natural selection shaping adaptations, it's very difficult. It's not a trivial task. So selection is one of the most important forces shaping the evolution of the life on earth, yet it's so difficult to to find the, the signature of that. So we can only find signature when it's very extreme in the genome, when this signature is very clear. So we set up bioinformatic experiment. So we set up a comparison. So we have these two species: the king and the emperor penguin. The king is the other large penguin. They are sister species. Their divergence is not that old in evolutionary times. We can say it's recent. It's a recent divergence between the two species. So it's still one million, two million years. But for us, it's recent. Okay. So in this recent divergence. They diverged phenotypically, but also ecologically. So now they are two different species with two different ecology. The king penguin is thriving in these sub-Antarctic islands that are around the Antarctic continent at a very different ecological conditions, different temperatures around zero degrees or more than zero degrees. So it's a completely different setup. So our question was, okay, so they diverge, they are different. And so we can use this contrast to try to understand where in the genome, or actually in this case, in this paper we analyzed just the genes, which gene is actually diverging the most between the two of them. And not only in terms of the number of mutations they are diverging, but also the way they diverge. So we need to find orthologous genes. So genes that are actually the same in different birds. So we devise a phylogeny with about seven species of penguins and 13 other birds. And we try to find all of the genes that could be aligned across all of these 20 species. So you can imagine that in 20 species, we are talking about a very long Evolutionary time. So it's difficult to find the regions that are actually exactly the same. There are lots of gaps in the genes and changes. And so the alignment is very difficult. So you need to trim, to filter, to be sure that you are aligning the right things. So our first question was, what was the ecology of the ancestral species? The king and the emperor. Well, was that more similar to the king that is less cold adapted or to the emperor that is more cold adapted? And so it's okay. If we do this test and we see more changes, in the emperor penguin, then the ecology was probably more similar to that of the king penguin. The opposite is true if we see more changes in the king. So we devised this test and then we did several cross-checks and not just one test, but yeah, we overlap lots of analysis because there there are lots of statistical uncertainty in this test, of course. And so by this overlapping of signals, we could see that actually in all of the tests we made, there was much more pervasive signature of selection in the emperor penguin, supporting the hypothesis that the ancestral ecology was similar to the king penguin, so less cold adapted. So in this case, we say, okay, if the ecology was similar to the king penguin, then the emperor penguin and its adaptation to the cold Antarctic is a derived state. It's something that happened after the divergence. So it's something, so all of these adaptation is actually happening not so long in evolutionary time. As we said before, still one million year or so, but something quite recent. So we, we got this signal of clear adaptation to the cold as a derived state. And this was the most important finding. So this answered our first question. And then we had another question, saying, so, okay, we know that there are several other animals or warm-blooded vertebrates that are cold-adapted, and we know that some of them are living today, like the polar bear, the arctic fox, there are lots of birds. And also there were some of these mammoths that got extinct long ago, like the mammoth or the holy rhino. So the, the second part of our analysis was on the overlapping of signature of selection in genes across all of these cold-adapted animals because there are other studies that have been done so we collected the literature and we tried to see and to search for the overlap between the genes that we found with some signature in the emperor penguins in other cold adaptive bird mammals but also other vertebrates in general so what we found is that in most of the cases we got a signature of selection in the same category of genes let's say cardiovascular functions fatty acid metabolism or thyroid hormones there are some specific classes of genes that can collectively participate to a certain phenotype or certain trait that were modified, okay? But not the same, not exactly the same. So we found signature of selection in 161 genes, and then we compare with long tables of genes found in other species. And we found an overlap only for four of these genes. So selections is actually using they underline genetics in different ways to get to similar adaptation. So this is also saying that each adaptation to cold, in this case, is actually unique.
1: It's a really good summary of uh, your aims and what you did and what you found. And I guess one thing I am really curious about, though, is that obviously, as you're talking there, it's a very heavily bioinformatic project. But obviously, the first step is actually collecting your samples. And Celine, I know you spent some time in Antarctica, in this delightful habitat, as you've both described. Um, so, what was the experience of being down there in the habitat these penguins live in like?
2: This is really difficult question. I have to admit. I mean, being over there is just a, uh, is just amazing, and uh, and you, on another planet, and uh, it's really particular to be on that environment and to be close to these uh, species uh, that you can see. Just evolved and uh doing their amazing behavior or too and it is something very, very complicated actually to describe.
1: Even just hearing you describe where these penguins live and what they've had to adapt to, yeah. like, I can't even picture it in my mind. Even the sheer like temperature extreme between like the middle of the penguin huddle yes. and the outside, it just I can't yeah. grasp it. But uh, yeah, I mean, over
2: there, as we are quite well equipped thanks to uh, the logistic uh, facilities, I would say, of the uh, Polar Institute. So uh, either the French uh, or the uh, German Polar Institute, and uh, so I would say that we are really. Uh, in a, a very nice environment with your, you know, the big down suit. So you are like a, in a cocoon. So <laughs> there is no, no, uh, uh problems, I, I would say, to be over there and observe them for hours.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it does look like a really stunning environment to try and visit. Um, and I guess kind of, Emiliano, you gave a really good summary of the paper, but I wonder what your key findings were. So
0: our results support. The hypothesis that the emperor penguin, the adaptation to cold is recent in evolutionary times and derived that the underlying genetics of this adaptation to cold is not acting on the same genes as in other cold adapted species, but on a set of genes that all participate to similar pathways and functions. And so selection is using different tools in the toolkit to get to similar cold adaptation as in emperor penguin or, for example, in the polar bear or the arctic fox or the woolly mammoth. And then another key finding was that, yeah, we found a signature of selection in four genes that was also found in other animals adapted to cold. And one of these four genes is actually very important. Actually, it was super cool. Yeah, it's weird to say that for a cold adapted <laughs> species, we found a super cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> We love opum, though. <laughs> so there was one gene that actually made so much sense because it was an ion-gated um, channel. So I don't know, this, this part is more proteomic. So there was another colleague of mine here at the, my institute helping on this. But there was this protein that is actually a thermoreceptor for noxious cold. So we don't know exactly what it triggers. But we know that this is a switch, saying if the temperature is below this level, it will just start a signal, and then the cell, the tissue, the body will do something else. And this specific switch is different in the emperor penguin. And there is a signature selection in this gene. Well, we did this simulation, very complicated simulation of proteins and structural function of this protein. And we found that these mutations are actually in regions of the protein that can have a meaning in changing the efficiency or the structure of this receptor. So actually what we found as a statistically significant result was actually translated into some function. So we could see that there was a function in that change and that function actually matters in the way this receptor to, to noxious cold is operating. So the other key message <laughs> could be <laughs> this one. So it's very important and this is what Studies on selection are doing at the moment to move on from statistical significance to actually functional significance. So we have the tools like this simulation or this other bioinformatic approach we can use to test if something is actually changing the function of a protein, besides doing tests in vitro like in cells, or uh, modifying animals like this, because in this case we are working on a non-model species. This is very important. No model species are the vast majority of life on Earth, and they are all unique in the sense that there is not such a model to code adaptation as this species. And so we need to try to study this with the best tools available without killing any animals or without manipulating them in any way. So it's important to do this kind of analysis from a bioinformatic perspective, but to be able to test the function of these results
2: me, I would say that uh, I have another uh, take on message, <laughs> more conservation aspect uh, or more linked to environmental changes. And to me, as uh, Emiliano said, most of the the molecular pathways at the basis of colonization of polar environments appear as species specific, which means that actually losing each of these unique adapted species, corresponds to the loss of the whole evolutionary uh, uh, trajectory, I would say. And for me, the take-home message is actually, unfortunately, this species, the emperor penguin, is a candidate evolutionary, could sack and point uh, under the, the current climate change scenarios that we are facing.
1: Mm. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting what you're saying there, because I think when people think of these very extreme adapted species, the threat of climate change is something that comes into a lot of people's minds. So what is this study telling us about their ability to adapt and survive in that? Are you saying that there isn't a lot of options for the penguins there? Uh, To me, uh,
2: because they are so specialized, to me, they are really at a higher uh, risk condition for extinction when uh, you have environmental changes changing as fast as uh, we are seeing now in the current global
0: warming. I totally, totally agree. I can also add that we don't have good track record for survival of species adapted to the cold. So if we look at the past, you know, one of the most famous cold adapted mammal that is the holy mammoth or the holy rhino, they got extinct after the glaciation or They could have been declining before or they could have been um, hunted to to extinction by humans or so on and so forth. But for sure, we know that there are no descendants from the cold-adapted mammoth or the cold-adapted rhino. But the elephants and the rhinos that we see today that are living today on Earth, they are the descendants or temperate or warm-adapted species. So we don't have so many examples. But when it happens that a species... Get into the the cold adapted state, then seems like what Celine says before is kind of a, an end point It's very difficult to revert to some extent, maybe because the pressure of the environment yeah the, the climate is so strong and so different and so unique they they are just like trapped in the evolutionary trajectories
2: and also especially just I, I would like to add one thing is we are talking about long life species. And also the problem with long-lived species is you have a, a turnover, a generation time really slow. And so meaning that the adaptation, the uh, micro adaptation, takes time for such a species.
0: Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to add is that these cold-adapted species are a minority with respect to the warm-adapted ones. In the same lineages, if we consider, I don't know, any group, we know that cold-adaptation is rare. So... There could also be this issue with the fact that mammoths are extinct and the ancestral the elephants are still uh thriving in the forest because there were more lineages probably, but in any case, I think the history is telling us that probably cold adaptive species cannot revert to a warm adaptation probably it's also in this case, and yeah this celine has has a much better perspective on this is the pace of the climate change so. Yes. So we said that for us, evolutionarily speaking, uh, one million years to get adapted to the to the Antarctic was relatively rapid, right? But on the other hand, now we are talking about reverting or the need to revert to an, a not so-called adapted planet in no time, right? So climate change is really fast in comparison with what? species experience, biodiversity experience before this anthropogenic climate change is, is faster. Yeah, we, we need to say that.
2: And another thing also, uh, the emperor means so the species, is considered close to being at high risk of extinction in the near future, especially due to the threat of uh, climate change and its consequence on uh, on sea ice, actually, uh, because they are really linked to um, the sea ice for breeding. So. This is their breeding habitat, actually. Uh, they breed on sea ice, and also they use uh, sea ice in terms of uh, foraging, because actually all the food web is uh, growing under the sea ice, and so any modification of the sea ice and, and shrinking of the sea ice will have an impact on their feeding and their foraging uh, efficiency, I would say. But also it's not only that, because the emperor penguins is facing other threats, that can be also amplified by uh, global warming, of course, Uh, like, uh, for instance, fisheries, like pollution, like pathogens, and other type of threat like this. And so when you combine everything, climate change, global warming, plus all these threats, this is probably the tipping point for them. This is problematic for these species.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess that's kind of a heavy place to end the episode on. But that is just the kind of world we're living in right now with the climate emergency we're facing. But on the positive, this is a really excellent paper and it has some really cool analyses in it. It is on a very amazing, if threatened species as well. So, just to finish up, I wonder if you could remind us what your paper is called and also just tell us about anyone else who was involved in bringing us this research.
0: So, the title of this paper is Selection Driven Adaptation to the Extreme Antarctic Environment in the Emperor Penguin. And this was the main work of a PhD student from the University of Padova working with me, Federica Pirri, and then Lino Meto from the University of Pavia. Contributing a lot to all the analysis for Orthologos gene search. And then Silvia Fuselli contributing to the uh, selection scan. Yeah, the selection analysis based on phylogenies. And then two other PhD students, Flavia Fernandez and Lorena Ancona, that are working with me and helped a lot with the analysis. And then there is the group of proteomics uh, contributing to the protein structure analysis, Nunzio Perta and Daniele Di Marino. Then, of course, Lorenzo Zane. University of Padova, co-supervising Federica. And then, of course, Celine Leboeck uh, and, and myself as senior author. Maybe I can also acknowledge the, the funding agency supporting that is the Italian National Programme for Antarctic Research that contributed with a, with a grant for me.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us and sharing this really fascinating project on these penguins. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. Bye. Yeah, it was nice. You can find the paper discussed today on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash h-d-y. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?